Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to the 2022 season review. My daughter asked me just before this show, she said, Dad, what's your podcast about? I thought, you know, it's it's about Formula One. She went, no, I know, but what do you say about Formula One? And it's a really good basic question. What is it we try to do? We certainly don't report the news. We don't go blow by blow. We don't tell you about the race you've just watched. So I said, well, we just say what we think about what happened and what, what might happen next. And she said, but why do people, why do people like that? And I, I think it's a great question. I think because, like me, a lot of people don't have real-life people to talk about F1 too. That's certainly how I got to know Matt and all the crew. Um, but also, I think at a basic level... We are an internet water cooler and we all get to sit around the water cooler and talk about and discuss the thing we love. And, uh, and then this, my daughter challenged me again and said, yeah, but it's only, it's only one way. And I don't feel like it's one way because we get a lot of great interaction from you guys as well. And I don't know if you guys feel this with Missed Apex. I certainly get feedback that you do. I have to sometimes remind myself with my favorite podcasts that I don't actually personally know scott johnson from the morning stream or bob novella from the skeptics guide and that's how much a part of my week they are and i'm honored that a lot of people think that we're a part of their week as well so to move forward with making this a bit more of a two-way stream we want to get into doing a bit more of a a a call-in format going forward into 2023 so this is a bit of a trial we've done it on our patron streams but today if you are a patron of missed apex podcast and you want to contribute a question or a comment to our 2022 review, you can click the live stream link in the general channel of the Patreon Slack group and come jump on Missed Apex Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We are an independent podcast produced in a podcasting shed of the mind. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. 
I'm joined in the shed of the mind by Matt Two-Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Looking forward to the season of rumour and statistical minutia. What, is that the season gone or the one to come? The one we're about to embark on, my friend. All right. Give, me, give us a break. Give us Christmas, at least. Your Thanksgiving turkey's not even gone down and you're talking about 2023. Uh, we're actually having the leftovers, the last, <laughs> last of the leftovers tonight. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, we are joined from the other side of the world by Jonathan Simon. How's it going, Jono? Good, good. I tried not to be the youngest person on this panel, so I grew a beard. Yep, and no. I don't know if it's going to work. No, no. Yeah, we'll see. see. That what really ages you is you need to spawn and give over a part of your soul to tiny humans. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, I'll take... That's wise words. I have that written on my wall, I think, Spanners, behind me. We'll see. How old are you? 20, 27? 26. 27 next year. Mm. Very close. That is prime. Yes. Life is about to hit you with a sledgehammer age. Good luck. <laughs> I, I look, can feel it. I look forward to seeing it unfold. Uh, and someone who, for whom so much of life has unfolded, our Nordic Viking warrior god, it's Christian Pedersen. How's it going, Christian? As the oldest on the panel, I try to do my, uh, my best to keep it old. So I will be describing the birds we have uh, experienced during the Formula One season 2022 tonight. The and it will be a 25-minute in-depth look into the different kind of I haven't told you about this, Ben? No, and I'm looking oh. forward to hearing it. Although, I have to say, controversial, so people on the live stream can, can see. Uh, you're claiming you're older than Matt? I think I am. Oh, Matt, go, go on, Matt. Am let's I, share. Am Fifth- I, let's try let's let's bring it on matt how old are you um <laughs> is it okay if i have to look it up <laughs> old enough to not be able to remember uh tell you what though uh, let's get into some season analysis And if you want to be a caller on Miss Apex podcast, then all you have to do is be in our Patreon Slack group and hit up and join by clicking that link. We are only going to do audio only for the callers because I'm absolutely convinced if we open up the video, people are going to show us their butts and we don't want any bot-assing going on here. But Jono, I think you had a, a really good question to pose to the panel as part of the 2022 season review. Mm-hmm. And that was about Lando Norris. So what is next for Lando Norris? Because the man is trapped in the top midfield seat and you can't go to Red Bull because that's dominated by Verstappen. Mercedes have got their next prodigy, Russell, lined up for the future. Then you look at Ferrari and you go, well, I don't know, can you go to Ferrari? You got Leclerc, signs, got a few options. So you have to make McLaren work. Now, how do you make it work? It's down to money. You've got the budget cat coming in. Yes, it increases next year. McLaren aren't meeting that budget difference at the moment. You're not going to win championships with the budget they're spending at the moment. So what do you do if you land Lando Norris? How can you raise funds for that team? You can't do it individually. I would say uh, stay at McLaren and then demand McLaren build a car that is on par with their budget, their capabilities, and their their, their name, basically. Uh, I think it's uh, beyond Formula 1 that we haven't seen a, a, a McLaren doing... Like podiums on occasions or more than occasions, McLaren is like one of the major teams and we have seen too little from McLaren in the last 10 years or something like that. I have to say that uh, as a long-suffering Williams fan, your logic that just because a team was was great once, they must surely come back. I mean, we've been hoping for like this Williams resurgence and watch them as basically the whole format 
and 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 model an ecosystem of Formula One changed around them to make their model kind of non-viable. And then McLaren are just a little bit probably down the road. They're like kind of a, a more a better surviving version of of Williams. But I'm not sure if there's room for any of these. I mean, privateer teams. Do we do we still consider McLaren in its form? We can still consider it a privateer team as such, and probably. You know, the last privateer team, you can point to Sauber, but Sauber seem very happy to rebadge to to a title sponsor, to Alfa Romeo this year and, and possibly other teams going forward. And then, uh, I mean, Williams, they're there at the moment. They're, they're clinging on. They're not really showing any, any, any signs of coming back. So, Matt, I would posit, oh, well, Christian can come back on it then. I would posit that that, that is a hopelessly optimistic uh, approach for Lando Norris to take. I cannot see McLaren. I can see them kind of doing what they're doing now, but I, I just don't see a way for them to compete with Red Bull, um, McLaren, and uh, sorry, Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari. And somebody's going to say Red Bull's a privateer team as well, which is a good point to immediately counter exactly everything I've said. I would argue that McLaren is. Uh... Is it wrong to say car manufacturer today and a racing team, just as Ferrari is? I know they have uh, less cars, yeah, they have built less. them for less yeah. years, but times are new and uh, the future for McLaren is being someone who builds race cars for the road and have different activities everywhere, just like Ferrari. But uh, everyone has the same uh, money nowadays. They also have the big brand, they have the right drivers, in my opinion, and they have the right tools. And then you it's okay to demand a bit more than we have seen, I think. So you ask what's next for Lando. And I would say first and most important is not turning into Alonzo at McLaren because he's in a position of, I would say, frustration in that he recognizes he has the skills to win on the regular. If he has the equipment, he knows he doesn't have the equipment and best, best case, these regulations work like they're planned, and in the next three to four years, erase decades worth of dominance by Mercedes and Red Bull and multi, multi, multi decades, not dominance, but at least participation and financial advantage by Ferrari. I think second for Norris is casually undercutting his brand new teammates so that, so that Piastri is not a real threat to him, but that so that he does score more points than Ricardo did. Because if Ricardo had scored similarly to the Alonzo Ocon pairing and Alpine, McLaren would have been ahead of them in the in the in the constructors for sure. And then third, obviously, is, you know, talking to Ferrari, talking to Mercedes, talking to Red Bull, and in case something weird happens, being the person that gets promoted to one of the cars that can win races. Uh, John O, they know Christian. And that's true because then you keep McLaren on your feet going, well, we don't want to lose Lando. Let's try and get him a good car before one of these big three swoop him up. So I think that's a good call that Trump had said. What's next for Lando Norris? Well, you know where you're going to be next year in the pecking order, likely. You've got to beat Piastri. That's your next goal. You can't end your career by finishing number two to a rookie driver, you know, because we know how that can work. You can't turn into Alonso. That's another good segue there. Quick history lesson on McLaren, for those people who don't know, they did have a partnership with Mercedes before Mercedes entered the sport in 2010, and that's where the money started to leave McLaren. They started to become less of a championship competing team. McLaren's last best year was 2012. They had a car that could have won the championship, 
reliability issues, all this kind of stuff. And then after that, they were just never the same, never the same team. Lewis Hamilton goes over to Mercedes, and now you're talking about a team. And here's one thing that I've noticed is every one of the big three teams run their own power unit. They lead that own power unit in a sense. Mm-hmm. McLaren don't. They're a customer of Mercedes. So they get the second best Mercedes engines. Now, can you find a manufacturer? Can you find a new engine partner for 2026 in the long term to make you an engine solely for McLaren to lead that team? They, they tried. Jono, they, they tried that. It didn't go well. McLaren Honda was one of the, the worst partnerships in F1. Well, now it would have been the best had they stuck with them. Unfortunately, they haven't. I just want to add to the. Sorry, Matt. You go ahead, Matt. I just wanted to quickly pick up and say that one of the biggest downfalls for McLaren was Mercedes entering the sport as its own entity. And that really piggybacks on your point about needing to be a works team. It's not about whether you're a privateer. It's about whether you're a works team. Are you are you backed by a major manufacturer? I very much second that. But I would also like to add to the Lando debate that Lando is doing uh, everything he can and I think he's doing it brilliantly. I mean, he he gets everything the last ounce out of that out of that car, even on bad days. And he keeps the mood up. He's a good team player. He's young. He's got great PR brand value. He's. Uh, I think it's more up to Lando than the teams, basically, in the future. The way he's behaving on track, on track, and off track. I I love this um this this game this career game that we see with drivers and I'm always getting told it's too simplistic to go well this driver beat that driver and that driver beat that driver therefore we can say that driver A is better than driver D however it's kind of all we've got so when we're we're looking at this kind of this career game and I always say formula 1 isn't fought over a race or even a season it's a career game in any form of the the video games or the manager games it's all about progressing up the ladder through the teams so with Lando Norris you go well his career game has kind of has stagnated he put all his eggs in the McLaren basket but he's done all right against his teammates he's looked pretty good he looked pretty good against Carlos Sainz I think most people would have had them kind of on reasonably level pegging Sainz hasn't gone and blown up uh, Ferrari and that battle however you so I don't think you can say oh well that means that Lando Norris also wouldn't have gone and beaten Leclerc because I do feel like Ferrari have a, a chosen one at any given time and at the moment it is Charles Leclerc with an 85 year contract still at Ferrari and um, so yeah it is absolutely this this driver teammate game and I want to know I want the Ricardo book to come out I want to know what happened in this because surely, like Jono, in Australia, people aren't taking this lying down. Something really weird happened. That gap does not reflect the talent between uh, Norris and um, and and Ricardo. Mm-hmm. At some point, there's going to be a tell-all, isn't there, about divisions within the team and and him having d- uh, different setups, or, or you know, there's some politics there. There must be. I truly believe that Daniel Ricardo still has the same talent he has, but there are two problems. As soon as he goes to McLaren, it's not a good fit for him. And then what happens is now he loses confidence and it becomes an effect where he just gets worse and worse. So initially that car is not a good fit. I think you put him in any of the other nine cars on the grid. He does a good job and he's back to his same talent. The problem is everybody only knows you. You're only as good as your last race. And that's what people remember him for. So they're always going to think 
what happened to this guy? I don't think he lost any of it. I, I, I truly think that that car and that team didn't suit him. He should have got out of there in three races in hindsight, but he stayed there for two seasons and it's basically ruined his career. Yeah, and I think you're right. Uh, Lando Norris has to now show a ruthless streak and make Piastri really regret that move to McLaren. Now, as I said earlier, we're going to be taking some calls from our Patreon Slack group. And if you want to be a patron, we would appreciate that. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Missed Apex only exists because of our patron support. We've got a few people queued up. And so uh, we are going to take your point and then uh, lead that to further discussion. But please do hang on the line. I can see there's a, a queue of people at the moment. Oh, it's gone all radio-y, Christian. That's you and me in our element now. We can we can handle this, can't we? We can handle whatever comes. What what's holding us back? Um, nothing. The first caller is is ready to speak to us, and um, and it is in fact it's an, a, another Dane. It is EJ from our iRacing group and patron. Hi EJ, how's it going? It's going all right. So uh, the microphone working? Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, and you are right, calling right. us from Denmark, so I feel a yeah. bit uncomfortable. We we had a token Dane on, and I don't know how, how we can manage with two. I suppose. Yeah. Can can you two pass the Bechtel test though? Can you uh, for Danes? You have to have a conversation with each other, and it can't involve any other nations. So, hi, EJ. What's the red grød with the flute there? Uh, EJ, no, Just for everyone else, they're talking about porridge, by the way. EJ, what's your question or comment? Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, this year we have... Uh, oh, last year was a really great championship. Um we uh, we saw a lot of uh, different podium takers mm. uh, last year, and then we had the new regulations, and it's been almost reset to 2017 uh, with the more or less three teams taking every podium except Norris for one. Um, and and uh, yeah, I gotta also bring out Kevin Magnussen's pole as the only other outstanding yeah. non-top three team. Uh, and uh, no one, no one wants to say that was a, a fluke in current company. But yes, you know, we get, yeah. we get your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but, yeah, uh, and and I know it's the first year, but there is a uh, there is a risk. I think that we might just see a replay of twenty seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, perhaps also before these new regs come into play, and then we're getting close to twenty sixty uh, twenty. Six, uh, 2026, yeah, uh, with a, a reset of the regulations once more. Oh, so oh, yeah. are, we, are we having too uh, narrow a cycle uh, in terms of our regulations? Should we prolong the uh, oh. longevity? Matt, this is something we whinge about all the time. Thank you so much for, for that question, EJ. Um, but uh, yeah, and, um, and please do take the, take the answer offline. Thanks for calling in. Uh, but we always complain that just as the regulations are starting to get to the point where everyone's catching up they change it again and and they mix it all up like we when are we going to see a 2012 season when we get six winners in in six races well i can't predict that exactly but the phenomenon is pretty well known it's called the, the what you're looking at really is convergence once the regulations are out there long enough uh the people at the front have less and less they can extract and the people at the back basically yeah by hook crook and you know xerox machine let's say Manage to get themselves closer and closer to the point where you really see this kind of lots of different podiums, lots of different winners. Anybody could win. I think we've made a good start with these regulations. I think if you look at the battle in the midfield and look at how close that was, I think if you look at the types of battles we've had, but let's remember Mercedes showed up with um, 
they got a zero on their first assignment and had to claw back their grade all season long. Ferrari did really well at the beginning, but then then they checked out and started taking Thursdays and Fridays off to fly to other countries and didn't really compete the entire second half of the season in in a serious way. So so I think it remains to be seen, but I have high hopes that we will see racing like that and that if the FIA can just be patient while it happens and not randomly go changing regulations halfway through a regulation set like we saw as you said in 2017 that we should have several years of pretty close racing before we get on to the next rule set. Christian. Well, I think it's uh, natural to have this uh, thought. Uh, I think it's uh, new times. I know I say this all the time on this podcast, but I think it's uh, a completely new times for, for for this set of rules and how it's handled in the way they 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 changed the rule into what we experienced this year was done on research. It was done out in the open. It was done by people who had been in the business for years and know what they're talking about. And we can see the results actually, and uh, it's uh, it's working. Uh, there's nothing uh, behind the scenes, and things are just different now. So I think I think uh, we have to also open our arms, eyes, and ears, and try to see these changes in a new way. Perhaps uh, uh. maybe welcome it a bit more. I don't think we will see. Uh, old time racing when nothing happens again, and uh, the show is the yeah. show must go on. After the say. horrible smut of your last appearance, Christian, I am glad you stopped at eyes, ears, and I was wondering where it was going to go next. <laughs> uh, John, a quick one. I, Formula One. Let's not forget what it's about. It's about technical innovation. It's the pinnacle of motorsport, and so we do need to evolve, and we can't hold on to a set of regulations for. You know, as the turbo hybrid era, I think, went on way too long. You know, that was supposed to end 2021. I think that should have ended at least a couple of years earlier to what we have now. But what we have now is great. And without moving on with a different set of regulations, we wouldn't have had the close racing, the amount of overtakes. The grid now is the discrepancy between first and last is is so little now. So I, I can't wait for the next set of regulations in 2026. Yeah. And when you bear in mind that this is a season where, you know, two of the top teams kind of fell away and dropped the ball i think there's still hope for a three-way fight but case in point here and i don't mean to be f1 racist ej but i'm assuming as a dane you are a kevin magnuson fan yeah somewhat yeah yeah and so like obviously for you that poll that really heightened and increased your enjoyment of of formula one and when we had 2012 with with all sorts of characters popping up and and getting podiums and getting wins and even 20 20 in 2021 you know gasly getting a win for example and lots of people on the podium all the fan bases except australia recently sorry Jono, all the fan bases get to kind of have that moment yeah indeed uh i think actually last year we only saw two or three teams that didn't have a podium uh it was quite quite extraordinary if if you look back until 12 uh, uh Jono. Just before I forget, so the cost cap for next year. Now, this year was at 100 and, uh, 140 million. It's going down to 135 next year. Let's not talk about inflation or that kind of stuff. Look, I can't be bothered getting into that. <laughs> but that's three times less the money that Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes spent before the cost cap. So now, now you're bringing those top teams down. Now you're bringing the small teams even closer to these top teams. Boy, that the parity and the and the competition is going to be even better next year. You're going to see Williams and Haas not struggle that like they used to in previous years. Every team scored some good points this year. They were pretty good. I want to see what Williams is going to be like next year. You know, is their car going to be even better? Let's see. I feel compelled to point out uh, from a pedantic point of view 
that we are still actually in the Turbo Hybrid No, era? I knew you were going to bother doing that. Go home. Go home, <laughs> old man. Point. Good in point, 2026, yes. that will change. But the aerodynamic regulations and the tire sizes have changed. And there you are correct. Okay, yes. brilliant. Thanks for thanks very much for that uh, call, EJ. It's, uh, the, uh, the first person, I think, the first uh, non-panelist to jump on and contribute to Miss Apex podcast, certainly in some time. But we have... Our second, we are joined by a Mr. John Cox. Um, John, thanks for joining us on the Zoom call. Where are you from, young man? Hello? Hello. Oh, look at this classic radio. Classic radio. This makes me feel good. The only other classic radio thing we could have is to hear the podcast back, and we have to say, uh, can you turn your radio down, sir? Can you turn your stream down? Well, unfortunately, it seems like we don't have John at the moment, um, but uh, we have uh, lots of uh, people uh, lined up. It's just a case of trying to get them in. We've got WVB here who's just joined us on the call. And if they can unmute, we'll say hello. Uh, but call us on 08000-845-271-8222 and uh, start your text with the words Missed Apex. Uh, who have we got here? Uh, WVB, who's that, sir? Who are you? It's Vitsa. Uh, Ah, ah, Vitsa in our patron chat group. Now, you are a Dutch listener. I believe our only remaining Dutch Mist Apex listener. Really? I'm <laughs> the only one left. No, actually, yes, we... the sole survivor of the uh, Map for Step of Bank Club. We are actually <laughs> charting currently at around 55 in the Netherlands. So they're either hate-watching wow. or we okay. do, in fact, have a listenership. Uh, and we do, <laughs> we do get lots of really nice emails uh, from, from the Netherlands as well. Uh, what's your question or comment? And uh, help me pronounce the name again, Vitsa. A good job. Yeah, you're yeah, learning. Good. There we go. Uh, it's getting better. So uh, my question is uh, surprisingly not about uh, Max Verstappen, but about uh, Charles Leclerc. And um, has Charles Leclerc learned enough from this year to really do an attempt at a championship next year? Because oh. I think Leclerc has shown speed. I don't doubt his driving skill, but he also seems a little bit too passive in communicating. And contrast that to Carlos Sainz, who seems to be really influencing decisions. So. Oh, oh, is he really ready for a championship attempt? That difference on the radio, like Charles Leclerc is kind of like, can we do this thing? Oh, okay. Whereas, you know, signs with his stop inventing, you know, where uh, they were trying to get them to switch positions or not. I can't even remember what now. Um, but yeah, he just on the radio, Carlos Sainz, stop inventing, stop inventing reasons I have to let Leclerc go. And whenever I'm having debates, shall we say, with my good lady wife, I'm using that. I've been using that since then. I go, stop inventing. And she doesn't, she has no idea that it's a F1 reference. So I get to antagonize her and have a giggle to myself. Always a sign of a healthy relationship. Jono, I'm an example to you, really. You are. I'm getting prepared for all that. Yeah. You said I'm getting into my 30s. Life's yeah, going to yeah. be turning downhill. So that's you in what I'm trying to learn. face with a hammer. Stupid, handsome <laughs> well, Aussie face. It's also going to happen to Leclerc and yes. life could be, well, not in, not off the track, on the track now. Let's make that analogy. His life could be turning downhill. Now, I think that's a great topic because this year, to me, so far, unless things change, Charles Leclerc proved that he can only win a championship if he has the best car. You put Alonso, Hamilton, Verstappen or somebody in that Ferrari. I'm not saying they win the championship this year, but I'm saying they do a much better job. Now, I don't want to eat into a topic we're going to talk later on. But there's a very interesting note at the moment in the fact that Mercedes had the best power unit for reliability this year, and Ferrari had statistically the worst. On average, Ferrari used the most, uh, you know, MGUHs, MGUKs amongst the grid on average, you know, because I know there was a lot of Ferrari teams there. So they had the least reliable power unit of the four. Now, what's very interesting is we know there's a power unit freeze 
Okay. And I'm getting back to the Leclerc thing in a sec, but that power unit freeze, you can only make modifications to your power unit for reliability reasons. What I heard from Pat Simmons, which was very interesting is he thinks Ferrari have gone, let's go full develop this engine to the max and not worry about reliability. And over the next three years, let's develop that. Now, what happens is you've got a Ferrari that's so quick this year in qualifying over one lap, they can push that power unit to the limit, but you can't run it over a race distance as well. And we saw the reliability issues they have. Now, to get to my point, finally, (laughs) is if they develop that reliability, you're looking at a championship performing power unit over the next three years. Mercedes can't improve their performance. They can only improve their reliability. They're already the most reliable power unit. They're the worst in terms of power this year. It's proven. Is it? A a lot of Mercedes teams struggled this year. I'm Mm -hmm. telling you, Spanners, out of the three teams. So to me, Ferrari have the most potential. And if they figure out their reliability issues, Leclerc will finally have a chance to win a world championship, but he has to have the best car to do it. He proved this year that if he's in the second best car, it's going to be a struggle. Uh, well, just quickly, while we're on engines, you're a F1 driver coming into to F1 with a with a great team next season, Jono. So which power unit do you want under you? I would 100% pick the Ferrari based on that note. It's the most unreliable, but that's all you can develop until 2026. And so if I can develop reliability, I'm going for them. I've got the most potential. They're going to be the quickest power unit over the next three years if they figure out their reliability issues. Okay, I think, Jono, you should be a Ferraro, Ferrari strategist with that thinking. You've taken a look at all the power units. You've gone, oh, I like the look of that one that keeps blowing up. That's the one for me because it might get better. I No, <laughs> no, surely not, Matt. Uh, no, not at all. If you were going to pick a power unit right now, you'd you'd take a Honda, of course, or a Red Bull racing power unit, or whatever they're calling them these days. That is that is clearly the best one to have. I find it interesting that that Renault has pursued the same strategy that Ferrari have of of starting out with making the engine powerful and then working the reliability into it. And yeah. I can tell. Um, our listeners that Ferrari actually we've already heard some about their updates they're going to have a modified gearbox and clutch housing which should change the uh, attachment elements of some of the inner suspension um, going to go push rod front pull rod rear again and they're going to have a massive evolution of their floor based on the effect of uh, technical directive uh, 039 which <laughs> is what absolutely put an end to their championship chase but talking power units they are looking very seriously at updating the reliability. Oh, okay, and I, I, Jono, I was being a bit harsh there. I do, I do see you, you know your logic where you're saying well, that where's the low hanging fruit to improve? Well, or technically, mm-hmm. it's reliability. I just, I think you know, having developed engineering projects and been part of future systems, reliability can get baked in, and mistakes can uh, mistakes or wrong directions can get baked into concepts. I don't think it's a case of just taking the reliability separately and working on, I think you can have a design and a concept and a workflow and a design flow that is inherently unreliable. So if I had to bet, will Ferrari take that performance, turn it around and suddenly become the most reliable engine? I'm not going to put, put my money on that. It was all, all, all I'm betting. I, I do agree. Right now you'd pick the Honda. 100% you'd pick the Honda engine or the Red Bull powertrains, tag her, whatever the hell it's called these days. But, they can put whatever image and sponsor they want. It's a Honda. <laughs> now, um, but for future, I think if you're going to take a risk, you have to take the Ferrari. Look what they did in qualifying. When you can run that power unit to its fullest without worrying about reliability, you have the quickest power unit, the quickest oh, yeah. car. 
you can do that in the future eventually. So I think you have to buy Ferrari stock. And I think if they don't make it work next year, people are going to creep. There's going to be doubts that creep in all this off-track stuff. And I really hope they make it work because I think that's a championship-winning power unit. Christian. Uh, don't forget Alfa Romeo, uh, Haas, and Ferrari was just killing it at the start of the season. All the Ferrari teams were just mm-hmm. killing it. Uh, come race day, turned it down a bit, but still uh, uh, in the lead in the start of the season. But I want to get back to the Charles Leclerc uh, yes, talk, please. which yes. the question was actually about. <laughs> Sorry, there's, there's something about Charles Leclerc. When, when he's fast, he's so extremely fast. But it it feels like that this communication between him and the team, and just how it all fell apart during the the half last half part of this part of the season, they they sort of like disconnected. It feels like that when you look at it from the outside, and we can only guess, of course. But there's something there not completely in sync. I think if the Ferrari car starts yeah. working, then he can he can do uh, uh, win races. I think Charles Leclerc will change a bit. I think there's some mentality thing there when that thing works well, as well. Well, there you go, right, sir. I mean, the panel seems to be in complete agreement as long as they solve the reliability issues that plague them and their inherent not joined up thinking and the and and sorts out the the strategy department completely Leclerc's in pretty good shape going forward huh yeah I think the team probably didn't help to to grow his confidence this year mm-hmm. so uh let's have to get their act together because uh, it would be better to have another team up the front uh really fighting for the full year what, what do you make of the way he seems to really berate himself you know the way I am stupid stupid and screaming down the radio all at himself it's all very internalized isn't it <laughs> It does seem very internalized. I think it's good to be harsh on yourself and reflect on yourself. It could also be a little bit too harsh or too open about it. And, um, well, I wonder, how does he communicate when it, when things go badly with his team? We've heard it on the radio, but how does it work internally? Mm. Is there a good dialogue or or not? I'm, I'm, it's really hard to, 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 to gauge it. Matt, you can't imagine Leclerc going back in, kicking over the spit bucket and just, you know, kicking off and firing hand gestures at the strategy team, can you? Well, well, I'm just not going to answer that question. Instead, I want to <laughs> bring up Abu Dhabi and the strategy for Leclerc as a very positive sign for how Ferrari and Leclerc might actually be getting their act a little more together. Because it's very clear that I think Leclerc maybe talked them into that one-stop strategy a little bit. They absolutely made it work to the point of actually bluffing Perez on his second in-lap. And the other thing I want to point out about Leclerc, and where I think if we're talking about him personally, not the team overall, we saw him out, out drive Max on track at the early part of the season several times. He's got that in his favor. But what he has still continued to do from time to time is even when he has something in hand, he does that center thing of, I need to go even faster. And then he goes Trust. a little too fast and winds up in a wall. And that to me, I want to know if he's tamed that instinct. Cause I think that is the only thing that could keep him from winning a championship. It's a tickly throat there, Christian. What was yeah, it? France. France. I don't know. It's just... <laughs> um, there's a lot of incidents you could point to. And I think, I haven't seen any stats, but I, you know, Mick Schumacher aside, do, do you reckon mm. Leclerc has the most Friday spins? He seems to like come out of the box, and you just <laughs> the amount of times he sticks it in the wall on a Friday is is quite alarming for a, a top driver. 
Yeah. Well, there we go. Um, let's- <laughs> so I was good. That's funny. It's a good point. I wish there were Friday spins uh, stats. There are overtake stats. Christian's got those. I can't wait to talk about that a little later on. Okay. Well, in that case, why don't we just take, because I think we've got one more caller in our queue here. And we do have uh, John Cox, who we tried to speak to earlier. And I think we've got him on a better connection now. But hey, that's live radio, ki- uh, kids. Do we have Do we have me on a better connection now? Hello there, Mr. Cox. And where are you from, young man? You sound like one of those American chaps. I am. I'm from the, the lovely state of California. Ah, so it's nice and hot there. So you are in a hot weather land. Yes, I am standing actually outside my parents' house in shorts and a t-shirt. Now, uh, you do our iRacing as well, a second iRacer to come and join us. So you are not a new F1 fan. You, 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 are you, how are you feeling about no longer being a freak as an American F1 fan? Because you and Matt used to be like um, like rocking horse poop, didn't you? Like almost almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah, the the American F one fans were truly unicorns. I never never met one out in the wild <laughs> yeah. until I was actually in Las Vegas and went down to the sports book and watched a race in the middle of the night and there was one other gentleman there who was a, a nice Englishman and we were high fiving over Hamilton's passes and that was like the greatest moment of my life because I met a fellow F one fan. So that would have been like twenty ten. Yeah. And now yeah. they're everywhere. They're and everywhere. because of that I tried to get tickets to the, the Las Vegas race. They're two thousand dollars, and you can't even get them if you want them. Whoa! No sorry, what kind of tickets? What, Las Vegas, but what was that? General admission was that sta- a stand? That was that, that was the cheapest tickets they would show me were two thousand dollars. No, and apparently, what's happening? Uh, maybe, maybe you guys already covered this, but apparently, what's happening is that all of the hotels are getting their own grandstands, and they have full control over who gets those seats. So it's like rather than, than me being able to buy a grandstand in front of. Caesar's Palace, I need to be one of their premier customers and buy their, you know, $30,000 package where I get a suite and a couple seats and, uh, you know, some nice dinners. It's Good. insane. It's an, it's a insane cash grab. Well, but Jono, I've seen you've been on uh, doing more TV and video stuff. You must have some cash. Can you lend me $2,000? Please, Spanners, don't talk. You're the one who's got the most cash, surely, out of all of us right now. But, um... Vegas, I swear, you could solve world hunger with the amount of money that they're sending, like tickets across to people. Like two grand for the cheapest—that's insane. I know Grandstand goes on sale. I think uh, tomorrow or the day after for the Australian Grand Prix, and I'm like, my bank account is going to be absolutely smothered after I spend money on that. I'm like, ugh, I need to find a way to get into corporate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but was was that your? Uh, was that gotten pretty expensive? Because my wife and I are. You know, we dream of uh, an Australia trip, and I always lean towards like, oh, you know, we'll go for the race. But is that just out of control expensive now, too? Well, I think it's the average price. So you're looking at 400 to 600 AUD, which is, I don't know, what, like 300, 400 Austra- uh, American? So much better than Vegas, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's okay. just, it's, it's doable. It's crazy how much it's expanded because, yeah, I think in 2013, I bought weekend general admission tickets for Silverstone for 300 quid. And then ended up getting a grandstand for the race for 80. And I don't think you could get a sniff. I don't think they let you drive past Silverstone for that kind of money anymore. And even when you look at some of the European venues where you go, well, it used to be, oh, it's cheaper to get on a plane and watch such and such. And uh, and you've still got enough left over for a a packet of crisps and a a night of blackjack. But, uh, you know, that is increasingly not the case anymore as as people spread out and take advantage of some of the, the cheaper European venues. And still no Copenhagen Grand Prix, though, Christian. Probably won't happen either. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But I just want to make a point. I read somewhere that... Uh, this whole sustainability thing for Formula One is going to be like a grand thing in, in Las Vegas. Everything they build there, they're going to build like a Formula One museum sort of with a big logo on top. And everything will be built from sustainable things, so recycled things and stuff like that. And then they had like a forum where they talked about how can we make Formula One more sustainable. And someone made the argument that well, Formula One is probably the most sustainable sport in the world because everyone watching it will stay home. So the more we can get to stay home, the more sustainable we will be. And all the bosses were like, yeah, that would look good in the spreadsheets. <laughs> so we could pro possibly be looking at a Formula One in the future where all the rich folks, where the, the circus is financed from all the rich folks going to these venues. And we, the peeps, can watch them at home having champagne. And Steve Jobs, not Steve Jobs, Tim Cook actually was, the way he did the flag <laughs> thing, we need more of that, of course. Oh, God. <laughs> Jono. You know what? I'm going to take one of my favorite quotes ever said on this podcast from Christian uh, Pedersen himself, which was, if we don't have those people, it becomes Formula 2. And it's totally right. We have to have those people on board, as sad as it is. I remember my rant this year for the Australian Grand Prix. I was like, why the hell am I walking around the track like a little peasant, you know, and all this kind of stuff I was saying. And it's true. We just have to deal with it. And, you know, that's what makes Formula One so mm -hmm. great is the corporate money. Quick thing. We reviewed this year. This is a season review podcast. But for next year's calendar, we bring back China. We bring back Qatar, Las Vegas as well. And, you know, we've got 24 races on the calendar. Now, 
I don't want to get into that debate, but is too many races annoying? Yes, it's too many. <laughs> um, I think China is, is all but cancelled. And if you keep an eye on the news and, and then what's mm-hmm. kicking off over there at the moment. Uh, but John, we, we kind of completely derailed that. But yeah, I was just making the point that we used to wheel Matt out as like a token American who knew stuff about Formula One. And now Matt's not special at all and soon to be replaced permanently by Chris or... I don't know, Kyle. Uh, but what was your actual comment, uh, John? You never got to it. Your comment or question? Oh, you know, um, I don't no questions because you oh. guys keep me so well informed. Oh, okay. But, well, so okay, a little question. I I felt at the end of Abu Dhabi like I was just kind of just down. Like, okay, I'm ready for the season to be over. Like, it just kind of went out with a whimper. Yeah. I don't know if it's like the insane number of races or the dominance of Red Bull or. I don't know. Um, so I'm looking for encouragement. You guys have sounded very positive so far this episode. So I'm, yeah, I'm wondering if anybody felt similar. Let, let's drag and, it down, uh, Christian. I, I don't know. Cheer me up. Cheer me up, please. I used to watch every every practice session, everything. Read all the articles. Go into depth, blah, blah, blah. This is my first year in maybe 10 years. I haven't watched all the practices live. I've catched up on most of them, but this is my first year. And actually, when we the last time we did the last race, it was like, ah, oh, finally some peace, because <laughs> you, you're you're sort of like bound to follow it. You you can't be half a fan. You can only be true fan or not fan. So you have to pick a side. And maybe twenty four is just a tiny bit over the edge. Yeah, my situation was totally the same. This is one of the first years. I, I don't think I've ever missed this many live F1 sessions in a single season ever in my whole life being a fan, I would actually be watching stuff like the next day. I'd be like, oh, let's catch up and practice on my phone. I'll just load it up quickly and, and have a watch for an hour as I'm you know traveling somewhere. But to me, it's, it's completely saturated with races. Doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. Now, let me tell you this. If the race went down like last year to the final race, sorry, the championship went down to the final race, one point, we'd enjoy it. There's There's no question about it. But I think, you know, the only way to control this is to make less races, but increase the race fee. Then we lose the good tracks because a lot of the historical tracks can't afford that. At the moment, F1's not going to reduce the amount of races on the calendar because that means more money. Uh, Matt, go on then. Well, I want to address a specific issue about it. I- I'm not even sure it's the number of races, but it's the number of times we had one or two or even three races each weekend instead of having a weekend off yeah in triple headers them. was there four triple headers something i like don't that. even remember but to me that contributed a lot to the fatigue but i think Jono is correct as we look forward to even more better wheel-to-wheel battles and racing we may not mind having mm. that to watch so much i have to say I, I think there's too many races until there's not a race on at the weekend, and then I'm I'm desperate for some F1 action. So let's talk in a week's time. Yeah, exactly. Formula One, <laughs> no, they've got me by the short and curlies because I'll I'll watch every race they put on from from now until I'm dead. Uh, but thank you very much for that call, John Cox. And I think um, so far this has been really really enjoyable hearing from people, and it's kind of nice not necessarily knowing what direction the topics are going to go in. And look, we've got all off season to talk about stuff and what we find from our mailbag shows is uh, and what we're finding today is that people have an interesting direction to set the panel off so we have a very rich vein a rich resource in our, our listeners so why not use that as part of the conversation but i think this show shows that people will call in and and speak to us so i hope 
to do this kind of thing more often. And we have, as a last caller today, because I definitely want to get to a Christian's topic where we're going to kind of review the direction the FIA set us on uh, for 2022 and how they did. Uh, but firstly, we have, and lastly, we have Maria. Uh, so Maria, hello, where are you joining us from? Hello, I'm joining you from Greece. Oh, look at that. So we have had the Netherlands, we have had America land, uh, we've had Denmark and now uh, Greece and to, to, to sprinkle us with an international flavor. How are things currently going in Greece? Uh, hot, I would say, for November. Is it ever it's not hot in Greece? Yes, it should be. It should be raining at me, being cold by, by now, but it's only just the last week that we really see the winter coming. Mm, okay, well, you can always take a trip to the UK where I am assured it is absolutely <laughs> miserable, windy and wet. So if you need some relief, and, hop on and a plane. And drizzling and continuously, continually drizzling. Yep, we have the most interesting fact. I believe the UK has the most days of cloud cover of anywhere in the world. What a claim to fame. If you, if you ever want to know why British people look like, you know, miserable and like braced against stuff the whole time, it's because Britain is, is wet, damp and dark. Maria, what's your question or, or comment? How have you enjoyed this season? Uh, well, I enjoyed the first part, although it was a little bit difficult for us uh, Mercedes fans <laughs> to watch the struggle that the team has been through. But uh, I really enjoyed the first part because of the... Uh, battles between Leclerc and uh, Max Verstappen. Mm. So and, much uh, potential. Leclerc had it wrapped up. We forget, don't we? Had Leclerc it, had it wrapped yeah. up. Not only that, I was I was very impressed because I think he I think uh, Leclerc outfoxed Mark, uh, Max uh, most of the times. He I think he ra- his racecraft is uh, slightly more clever and more uh, more um, wide. Maybe I'm, I'm, I am Ooh. wrong. Pro- I am probably wrong. And um, that's uh, the impression I got from the first race. A lot of the early season chat was about how respectfully and, and how, how well Verstappen and Leclerc were, were racing each other and what a contrast it was to 2021. I, I don't know if it's a bit previous to kind of say, oh, Leclerc had bested Verstappen in those early exchanges because it never really got a chance to mature, did it, Matt? Which, much to its great shame. And even in that time where they were competitive, didn't Verstappen have two DNFs? You know, we forget that he had like two DNFs out of those early six races where things were close. Well, they did. And the Red Bull was certainly a heavier car and did not have the same advantages it had later on. But what I will say is I think in large part, Maria is correct in that when we did see on-track battling, it was not just that Leclerc with a faster car made DRS passes, but it was that he, he in the several occasions we saw, and I'm thinking really about the first races, he was out thinking Max about how to use DRS zones, when to hold back, when to be in front. It was those kinds of racecraft things that I think was noticeable to everyone paying attention. Max learned fast, of course. You know, you would watch the next lap around and he he'd have figured out what Leclerc had done. But when the two of them were at it for the first time, I think maybe you do give a slight edge to Charles here. Uh, yeah, but could he sustain that over a, a season, Maria? What do you think? Uh. I, I don't know. I, I am hoping that we will find... No, I don't hope we will find the next year because I hope that Mercedes will win, will win the championship. <laughs> so I don't want to learn. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't fathom that. That's interesting. You know, for us neutrals, of course, you know, it's, it's win-win. But, um, <laughs> but uh, look, from a Mercedes point of view, I don't think we've, we've mentioned Mercedes, Maria. Obviously, a, a very, very difficult start to the season. Um, but it, it does look it does look a little hopeful, doesn't it? 
I my question was about Mercedes. It's a, it is a two part question because I am talking with Matt, and you have to make a two part question at least. Yeah. At least. <laughs> so I I am listening to other podcasts podcasts too. I'm sorry, Spanners. I know I shouldn't. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm oh, very sorry. And we're going to have to cut Maria off there. That's the end of. <laughs> no, go on. Carry on. Carry on. Uh, Everybody's saying that Mercedes is quite a strong team and they have procedure uh, on which uh, Toto Wolff is very confident that they mm. can uh, resurrect uh, their championship hopes in the next year. But I was thinking that maybe uh, uh, their uh, last decade of uh, success have, has cornered them to a certain uh, type of uh, function mm-hmm. uh, they, they are always trying to find the time in uh, the most complicated the most obscure places and I think yeah. that this this uh, era of F1 is more more about simplifying things and I don't know if Mercedes is co- quite uh, adaptable to that well we, uh, we, we at, did at the first stages Christian I mean the phrase is probably uh, when your your success masks failure. And, and like being too successful can can learn lead you down bad roads because you kind of get away with it. It's like being an extremely attractive person and uh, you can just get away with stuff because no one tells you that you're sounding stupid because they want to hang out with you because you're hot. Obviously a problem you and I have had a lot over the years, Christian. Numerous times. Yeah. Two, two, one, maybe one. Maybe one time. Anyway, I just want to add that... Um, I think we uh, should get ready to see a new, uh, well, at least a new element to the the thing that is Formula One. And that element is how do you control a team within the cost cap? So last year, uh, I think Mercedes, or was it this year, they made 70 million pounds uh, of profit. Extra, yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. profit in the, in, in the team. So for Mercedes, they have a team that is basically just profits and brand value. So if if you can get Toto to control that team in a way they can keep winning with the same amount of money as Ferrari and Sauber and Williams and stuff like that, then you will be the true champ. And I'm not sure we have um, we have seen it truly uh, shine through yet. I think in the next two or three years, we will see uh, things completely change in uh, in Formula One, maybe the big teams will will stay up there, but we will see them challenged in a different way. I think. I just have to clarify that you know some of the teams are, are within the cost cap, Christian. So not not everyone's yeah. got exactly the same. Not exactly the same. Uh, Matt, but that, that was my the second part of my question. Actually, <laughs> go on then fire it at Matt. About- uh, about the cost cap, and it, it is uh, directed to you, actual spiners. I may be wrong; I am very often wrong. But I had the impression that uh, you uh, you avoided to expand a lot on the cost, the whole cost cap I saga. Did. It was this a, a conscious decision? Yeah, and, and, I, and I want to make a disclaimer there. Uh, I don't think that the Red Bull made a huge amount of. Um, uh, uh, over gain. overspending of uh, of, of okay. Uh, okay. gain. If we if we take the data we have on face value, that is that's it. Uh, and I I I've noticed that in the Slack group we make we, we made a field day of it. Of course, not <laughs> of course, not only yeah. a day, some weeks of it. 
but on the on the on the podcast you were quite uh, uh, reluctant to to expand. Not on reluctant, it, I think. not reluctant. But if you follow me on Twitter at Spanners Ready, you know, maybe I, I made a few of my I feelings. Don't, I clear. don't follow Twitter. I know I don't there want to follow Twitter. Um, so yeah, of course, of course. Um, yeah, I I felt a little bit uh, miffed. You know, the 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 focus was on what Red Bull's punishment should should have been when really the focus should have been on what did the teams that stayed within the cost cap, what was the effect it had on them? So what could Mercedes have done with that extra budget, whether it's small or, or, or big or whether it was spent on sushi or volavance or a new front wing? The focus for me should have been, well, Mercedes never got the opportunity to, to try. They never got the chance to try, well, what would have been like to spend an extra £100,000, a million pounds, whatever it was. What, 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 what if they had a chance to do a, a tax rebate thing and risk whether it came in on time? Uh, you know, so the, the, the focus was all on what, what punishment should Red Bull get and not, it's a bit unfair to the teams that stayed within the cap. And um, I will say maybe the reason I held my tongue a little bit was, if you'd have said to me, one team has gone over in 13 different areas of, of their cost cap or whatever, or in 13 areas have underreported what they've eventually been found out, which team would we all have guessed it was going to be? And so th- there comes a point where if you can't keep banging on about, if you keep pointing out all the things that one team is doing, you look like you're on a hate campaign against Red Bull. But, but to me, I keep looking at it and they kind of... They've got this kind of gish gallop swarm approach to Formula One where they just say outrageous stuff. Marco, Horner, Verstappen. They do outrageous stuff. They say thing after thing after thing. And if you keep going after them, you just sound like a lunatic and a madman for just continually going after one team. And, uh, and you know, and I'm going to get comments in the, in the YouTube comments, of course. But um, I think, you know, that tactic that we see in some forms of, of media and politics, Matt, where it, it's just you just keep throwing things out as aggressively as possible and your detractors sound quite mad like I kind of am on this rant. Thanks, Maria. <laughs> Sorry, go on, go on, Matt. Come on. Am I, am, I, am I insane, Matt? Are you insane or are you wrong? Maybe these are different <laughs> questions and we should address them thus. Oh, right, I don't know. Right. I, I want to bring up, uh, because I know Aston Martin was guilty of is nearly and more, and more serious uh, and more serious than uh, the Red Bull ones uh, categorical errors in their accounting. But what they did right and Red Bull did wrong was they didn't violate the actual total amount they yeah. were allowed to spend. So in this, I think I'm almost beginning to be inclined to see that Aston and Red Bull pursued a very aggressive strategy of finding out what they could get away with to the point where they were willing to accept, uh, you know. To, to be found out, to see what they could get away with. But I think kind of like Brazil, where Red Bull was weirdly off form, Red Bull actually got the number wrong, and that's what got people so upset. If Red Bull had been found guilty in the same way Aston was, but they hadn't overspent, people it would have been left to the lunatics to be going, but hey, wait a minute, they they did this entirely different than the, than the eight other teams who made a real effort to not make any of these kind of categorical errors and how they filed their expenses. I think uh, what Spanners just said uh, is so true. And I okay. think you can see it actually also in the Formula One paddock uh, that uh, people just stopped commenting on it. Yep. It just basically just evaporated from, from the paddock. Uh, and everyone's like, okay, the, now it's enough now. And 
who made a defamation suit against McLaren just recently for that letter Zach Brown sent? Who was talking about a defamation suit? I'm not sure if it's been uh, filed yet, but Red Bull is talking about <laughs> making yeah. a defamation suit against Zach Brown for that letter. So, I mean, they haven't learned anything, at least. No, and I, look, I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about that now. Uh, Maria, is the is the answer somewhat satisfactory? I think as, as a caller, you've done very well to to get me to, to go, right, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was an answer that I, I suspected as much, and I think that you uh, you were right to uh, to do that, to behave like that, because uh, indeed we sound like uh, the crazy guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, company. Matt, you had one last thing on that? Well, I just had wanted to mention to Maria that, that Summers and I had actually talked a bit about your Mercedes speculation, sort of, you might call it the sunk cost fallacy, and that they can occasionally be a bit stubborn about their design choices if they think they can make it work out. And I hmm. think next season will be a real test of sort of their internal flexibility uh, versus their devotion to this design. Uh, Jonah? You know, to add on to both topics, number one is Mercedes now, and Maria's right, they have to learn how to make a successful team under budget cap rules, which they didn't do too badly last year. So, mm. yes, they have less of a budget, but I think they're doing a good job. Maybe they do need to make some adjustments. I think it's best to ask somebody from Mercedes that question because they know best what they do, in a sense. The next thing is the cost cap stuff. We can move on. <laughs> Let's move on. I was going to. It's all Maria's fault. Maria, uh, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy your you. November sun. Uh, uh, all very jealous of you there. Um, brilliant. So before we before we go, and I think um, yeah, we're coming to the to the end of well, we're calling it the season review really, but we've we've kind of gone with the flow of our of our listeners here, which has been fantastic. Uh, Christian, you were putting the the FIA on review, and before we do this, you know, it's it's much easier to be critical of of people who are trying stuff and who are uh, doing things out in the real world very easy from your sofa to to be negative and the thing is it's it's actually from a content point of view if you are equally as positive or negative the positive things don't last very long because you're just going yes i agree that's good <laughs> and then the negative things take a little bit longer to to dissect so it can sound like you're being very critical i think first things first christian the fia have tried a lot of stuff and they've they've reacted i think to the you know the the increasing demand for more action for for following i think we can say overall they have been inventive and and have shown initiative they're not sitting still they're not sitting on our hands so we can start from that base can't we sure i i mean i i am um, i believe in the fia and i believe actually uh, when uh, when this season started things were muddy because of abu dhabi uh, last mm -hmm. year and uh, we had a new leader of the FIA, Ben Solayam. And there was something about the jewelry and all that stuff, Saudi Arabia, start of the season. But actually, I think if you just the FIA on the last half of the season, they have been much more transparent. They have been much more, they've been quicker. They have been open about what they're thinking and talking about. And uh, also, if you read our good uncle Joe's uh, letters, he you will know there's an old bureaucratic uh, approach to FIA that the new 
leaders have to get sort of rid of. So within a couple of years, uh, the new crew at FIA will have uh, the possibility to do what they want to do. And I, I see all the the right signs. And one of them with uh, I'm not. Are we going to talk about the overtaking now? Yeah, yeah. Go for it, man. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, uh, so the meaning of, or let's say the 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 net result of uh, regulations this year should be more overtaking, driving closer together. And it's impossible to say uh, in one line if it's succeeded or not, because you can you can you can go and look into the numbers. You can say how many overtakes did we have this season compared to last season and stuff like that. But that's not really the full picture. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, so if you but if you go into the numbers and uh, the people who does that, the, uh, there's a guy I'm gonna quote from Reddit. Uh, a user called Catching is one thing, and then I'm gonna <laughs> quote some of the Pirelli stats. So both of them does not count overtaking on lab one or overtaking during a, a stand restart. Oh, okay. Uh, that is not uh, that does not count. So that's bad for Kevin Magnuson, of course. Uh, but I can understand it if we if we have to talk about it in the context of does the new cars work? We have to be out of the first lap, basically. Mm. So. Uh, Apparently, according to Pirelli, we have had 30% more overtakings this year, uh, 599 in, in free, last year. In free play, as it were. Mm. Yeah, and 785 uh, this year. Uh, according to the user who have uh, been going through all the spreadsheets, and sometimes the Reddit users can be <laughs> uh, more on point than, uh, than the actual folks because they see things the other people don't see. But according to them, uh, we have, have had an average of... 45.3 overtakers per race that is the most since 2016 but similar to 2019 oh. so that doesn't sound so good so if you mm. compare the numbers from the reddit user and you to the pirelli ones i think we are somewhere in between you, you can so, get yeah you can so get lost in the numbers maybe, though. if we could say 15 20 percent would that be a respectable uh, number increase in overtakings According to the rules, I don't know. I, I'm Matt, I know you love a stat. I, I just want to quickly make the the observation that I've seen is that we have not seen people just dropping back to three seconds to to save to save their their tires from getting caught in the wash. Well, it, it's more than that. The thing that we have seen, and the point that I would make is, yes, a stat is a stat, and a good stat is a cigar or something. I don't know, but what I really like is that we have seen just on a vibe basis for me, we have seen battles that have lasted more than one corner regularly. And if we're going to be given shout outs, I got to say, thank you Pirelli for giving us a tire that lets people making a second pit stop, catch people making only one, which in the past the tires weren't able mm. to sustain that. And it was one of the biggest reasons we were trending towards that one-stop race all the time is that the tires wouldn't sustain making up an entire pit stop delta if I were to make a second stop and drive faster. Yeah, and and this is it as well, like Christian, Pirelli are obviously involved in that and they're working you know, hand in hand. You've got to be able to follow, but also you've got to have this strategy working as well and it's so so weird how Pirelli really have found themselves at the center of the soul of what Formula One is because they could make it two steps harder and they wouldn't need to pit because Pirelli of and course Nick's, yeah 
And next year they will make uh, a, a, especially a new front tire to to get away with some of the understeer. Uh, I I do want to th- say there has been s- people mumbling about the the things you can't say about Pirelli, and I can totally understand why Pirelli goes to the FIA or Formula One Liberty whatever and say, listen, if we need if we have to be the sole supplier of tires, we can't have ten drivers each weekend just uh, yeah. bad mouthing us. That that that's not going to work. But I'm not sure an NDA is the right way either. Where you can't say anything if they're not working properly. Uh, so what we saw be, uh, after Japan because of the wet tires, apparently the wet tires are, uh, are way too heavy and they they don't even work at all. So things mm. are going to change in that sense. But uh, I'm not sure if the, the the lack of understeer or less understeer is going to make more overtake in generally. Maybe for some, uh, I feel for Daniel Ricciardo. I think he would have liked that tire. <laughs> uh, uh, Jonathan, uh, just say what you want, and then we can, can back to me. I'll give you the numbers of the most and least overtakes. Ooh. Yeah, so that's a good point. Pirelli are also introducing like a C1.5, because that C1 we used at like, I don't know if it was Zandvoort or like, you know, supposed to be used at Suzuka, those heavy, big low tracks, that just never worked this year. So Pirelli are also going to introduce that along with hopefully trying to fix the wet tires too and trying to make them a little bit more raceable. The the overtaking and the on-track action was kind of good. It, it wasn't too bad this year. Was it magnificent? No, but it's only going to be improved from here. They've been talking about this. Now, I'm not saying I want to give up. I'm not one to give up, but we have been talking about improving the cars and the aero now my entire life watching F1, and slowly and slowly we're getting there, and it's taken us, I reckon, honestly, it's taken us 10 years longer. This is the point we were hoping to get to in 2009. We've finally got there in 2021, 2022. So is it going to be another 15 years to get where we want to be in, in three years? You know, I don't know. It's going to be tough. So I just want to mention real quick for listeners and viewers that aren't, don't know the Pirelli scale. C1 is the hardest tire, the longest lasting tire that they bring to races. C5 currently is the softest tire that they bring to races. And I know there's been some talks about changing tire rules and qualifying. But I want to disagree with Jono a little bit, even though he was young and doesn't know better. <laughs> I think we have seen more close on-track battles, multi-corner battles, both in the midfield and at the sharp end. And I would just challenge you to go look at the cutoffs for things like Q3 and Q2 and see how many how many drivers are within oh a hundredth of a second frequently. At those margins, these are really good. This is a really good starting point for the FIA and the regulations. There are still some weak points and potential problems that might show up, but I think we're I think we're off to a good start with these regs. Good point, but I think the cost cap more than the actual error rules for that for bringing the field closer, for making everybody closer enough to battle. So that's what I would think more than the actual error regs. Yeah, and we're not only talking uh, tires. We're also talking the wrecks. If you look at uh, that rear wing, that was it Alpine that did a rear wing, or maybe Aston Martin. I it think it was Aston Martin. Aston yeah, Martin, exactly. Yeah. They did a rear wing where they it it went against the overall theme of the regulations, and that was the reason why it was not allowed. And the same with the Mercedes front wing. So, so they are proactively doing the right things to to create a better show. I think. Yeah, I I would just argue. Um, Again, with all due deference, as we turn this into a three-hour show arguing about regulations, which I know is exactly what Spanners wanted, 
is is that they haven't really had a chance to bear the kind of fruit that we saw on track just this season. And that's because, I will explain my reasoning and then leave you to tell me why you think I'm still wrong. A lot of what teams like Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull have in terms of advantage are tools that they've been able to invest a lot more in mm. over all the previous years where their spending was not restrained. And they still have those tools. They still have the results of all those CFD tests that they were allowed to run and could afford to fund before this cost cap came into place. All of that learning is still there and they can still draw on it. Whereas the teams that were below budget and are now just barely able to fully fund just the operations at the cost cap level and still not match them on the non-cost cap side, they're just beginning to catch up on that technology and their investment in those tools. It's going to take a while before we see the kind of parity that these financial regulations are aimed at bringing in, in my uh, mostly humble opinion. May I just add that we have, uh, that we have Pirelli test sessions during this, the year as well, which is a new thing. And I think actually that uh, that's the uh, practice one. Sometimes they use this, uh, this uh, tire uh, on Mark tire from Pirelli. And that is the new way of testing tires apparently and it seems to work because uh, they get the feedback they need uh, to build next year's tires and that is completely new which i also think is going to bring a lot to the show they don't wear unmarked black helmets and secretly pretend that they're not their race car drivers do they during those days yeah. like 2013 <laughs> in mercedes oh yes that was the infamous those test. allegations were never proved Oh, no, 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 no. I think they completely were, they were. and they admitted it. <laughs> so it was fine. Uh, but yeah, so look, look you've, Matt has managed to, to change our uh, our debate on, on how the FIA have done into a, a tire debate. So well done. You've Nothing you've new. Done your... I don't know why this happens every time you yes, leave me alone for a minute. Yeah, no, I had to you, go. I'm going to give you the numbers now then. Go on then. So the guy who overtook the most in 2022 was Alonso, actually. 71 overtakes. Then Hamilton, 63. Joe, 62. Sainz, 61. Verstappen, Stroll, shared 57. The least overtakes this season. Jono? No. <laughs> Is it my no? man? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually Latifi. It's not your man. <laughs> it, it's closer to being Matt's man. But I don't think anyone's surprised on that. So the most overtaken drivers, which I think is a very f uh, funny, uh, well, interesting statistic, is actually Magnussen. And it says a lot about being, if you're the best to overtake on lap one, you're also going to be the most overtaken. Mm. That uh, is how I, that's, that is the perspective I see it from, of course. Well, of course, like Alonso did quite a lot of mad lap one stuff as well. So maybe he falls into that category yeah, too. But I think something that muddies this is that qualifying isn't what it was in the olden days. Like, so you can specifically, you know, go out there and, and sort of go for qualifying uh, or you can, according to the teams, uh, you can set up for the race, which is what Mercedes seem to have been doing. So that kind of muddies the water, waters a bit because I think in the olden days, you'd never have turned up at Interlagos going, well, we'll... we'll We'll not worry about qualifying. We'll make it up in the race because overtaking used to be a lot harder in the DRS era and in a regulation set that helps with following and overtaking. You're not necessarily worried about getting on pole position. So if you're kind of deliberately setting up for the race, you're going to have decent overtaking stats, aren't you? You're going to have. Did, did, where did Hamilton come in that 
in that? Was he quite high, did you say, in the overtakes? He's uh, number two, 63. Yeah. Uh, All right. uh, he's been starting from the behind and stuff Exactly. Like that, so so I, if, I think... if, you're, if, you're, if you're kind of not prioritising qualifying as much and you're prioritising race pace, you're going to be able to, to overtake in the race. So I don't, I'm not poo-pooing uh, the wanna, statistic. Can I add one interesting one? Okay, the least on. overtaken this season. Okay. That is science with seven overtakes. Only uh. seven. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. No, no, he was only overtaken seven times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Can you believe that? In 22 no. races? <laughs> Is that even true? Number. And it's I the birthday to... of Tom Christensen as well. I mean, so many. <laughs> I have to watch that back. I, seven times in one year. I reckon it's because he crashed all the time when he was needed to be overtaken or something like that. It must Something must have happened there. No, I think it's probably simpler than that, isn't it? Is that like you qualify sixth or something you you quickly fall back to sixth out of the, that top three or or fourth out of the top four and, and then there's a big gap back to the midfield so if you're kind of the worst quote-unquote worst or slowest of what is the leading pack then you're not going to get overtaken by the the Ocons and the and the Norrises that are 30 seconds back and um, Matt well, I was going to say to me that says he was the most consistent across qualifying and racing honestly meaning that he qualified almost always in more or less the position mm. where he wound up. So he was rarely overtaken from behind and, if anything, only made forward progress. Consistent, but was it consistently bad? You know, here's my thing as well. Like, going back to, like, the Mercedes duo, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I'm and, – and no Lewis Hamilton bias as much as I like the guy, but George Russell was by far – in my opinion, the most consistent of the top six, along with maybe Max Verstappen this year. Mm. But the difference was, was when Lewis Hamilton turned it on, he was better than George Russell, except for the races that mattered. Russell <laughs> always seemed to just be on top during when the car actually won a race, George Russell won a race, put it on pole in Hungary, all this kind of stuff. And then anytime Hamilton was quicker than Russell, it was always for P5 or for, you know, for something useless. So that's another thing right there is, and, and not, not to change the topic, but I'm saying the Mercedes duo next year, it goes back to 2021. Carlos Sainz finished ahead of Leclerc on points. George Russell has done the same on Lewis Hamilton, but who is actually the quicker driver of the two? That's a very good topic there. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll attract to the, uh, the 87th topic for, for YouTube comments. <laughs> and I'll say, look, who won out of Russell and, and Hamilton depended on Lewis Hamilton this season. So if, if Hamilton was, was on it and having his good weekend, he had enough to be faster than, than George Russell. If he was erratic or crashing into Alonso or, or, uh, or experimenting with a setup or just being peaky, that's your word that I learned from you, Matt. If he was being peaky with his performances, then that's when Russell was, was able to, to overtake him. But I honestly think, I think you're right, Russell was consistent. And, and when Hamilton was good, he was very, very good. And when he was bad, he was bad. Uh, Matt. The thing that I like most is Hamilton outqualified Russell, 13 to 9, according to the statistics I looked up online. Okay. And that's not something I would have expected. I would have expected the opposite. I would have expected Russell to have outqualified Hamilton. So I hold this season mm. in a little bit with a grain of salt. I think Russell did an outstanding job moving up to the big team, but he hasn't convinced me that fundamentally he's more consistent or better than Hamilton yet. Christian. To finish off the uh, overtaking talk, uh, I think the, the, the good thing about this is we can look at the statistics, we can look at the numbers, 
but when it comes down to it, it's about what we see with our eyes, how we feel when we see it. Uh, it has to do with how the overtakes are done, uh, the rivalry, and all those things uh, uh, plays a major part. So is it a success this year? In my opinion, yes. The statistic I would like is how many times did somebody on TV say, oh, you don't often see an overtake there? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and you know, and they've got a taste for it. I think they've got enough data points to go. Here's the things that worked. I think there's a, a lot of uh, talk about tweaking DRS. I really like the fact that they've got racing rules in place. We don't want to, you know. I, I disagree with the if you're slightly ahead by th- a certain degree angle of the apex, then you're allowed to pull out a paintball gun and splatter your opponent's visor with paint. That seems weird to me. I think, yeah, it's great to have these kind of rules about uh, where and where you can be and when you're entitled to space or not. But I would still like the rule to be don't be allowed to just run your opponent off track. That That's something that, that we saw with, with Hamilton really kind of brought that to life against Rosberg. Leclerc took it to a whole nother level and then Verstappen just went atmos- atmospheric with it in 2021. And it's been it's becoming baked into the ethos and the of, of Formula One racing that the inside car can just run the outside car out of room. It's, it's not what I like to see. And if you just made it so you always have to leave a bit of room, you're going to see multi-corner racing, which is what, what we want to see. We want to see, was it uh, Portugal? with Perez versus Lewis Hamilton, where they were side by side for, for a, a whole lap. You know, we want to see racing like that. Jono. And, you know, one, this is a season review podcast. And one thing to review this year is Max Verstappen's driving style changed after the pressures of not having won a world championship to the pressures of I've won one and now I'm on the way towards the second. So that is critical for him. And And the best analogy I had, and I mentioned this on last year's season review pod, was, Lewis Hamilton won that 2008 World Championship, went into 2011 frustrated, driving like a madman, got in so many incidents, and he had to change his style. What's changed Max Verstappen's style is the rules, as you've said, that they've actually clamped down on it and not allowed him to drive like that. And the fact he's got less pressure. He's got two championships under his belt. He could retire now and be one of the greatest ever do it in the sport, but we know he's going to continue. We know he's likely maybe going to win a couple more. Who knows? All dependent on the car. Um, But yeah, that's been a... A big year for the for Verstappen stock. You know, this is, do you sell it now? I don't think so. The dude's one of the greatest <laughs> ever to, to be in a cockpit. Well, and uh, we have so much potential to see him tested next season. If uh, if Ferrari, like you say, just sort, magically sort out all those problems. Exactly. Whoever is in charge, whoever the team principal happens to be in 2023. I don't think there's been an announcement yet, although everyone seems I- to be... Is- Bonotto confirmed, sorry, Spanners, Bonotto confirmed that that was all pish posh, just BS. Like he is going to be there next year. Basically, the Italian media apparently were manufacturing some stuff to put pressure. No. But I no. think this leaving. does not happen ever. Stop inventing. Stop inventing Italian media. No, I think I think I still but think we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if they do that and um, and and Mercedes find some side pods, then you know we really could see Leclerc and Sainz versus Russell and Hamilton versus Verstappen, which could be you know very very interesting. Obviously, if that even briefly includes Sergio Perez, we could see Daniel Ricciardo back in a race seat very very soon. Um, before we end the review, Christian, I know you had a, a bit of a comment on on social media within Formula One. 
I think the the mood is too good now. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna pass it on. I'm probably gonna get back here in a month or oh, two. Okay. I'll, I'll leave it for then. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, my comment on social media in in Formula One that I probably don't talk about a lot is the amount of emails and DMs just telling us to keep doing what we're doing and how we fit into people's weeks. And it is so easy to focus on the negative. And but this year, I've taken a much more block heavy uh, approach to social media. So if if something's causing me stress, or I think, oh, you're just in this to to try and upset me, and it's worked, you turnip. I've been very block heavy. So in all seriousness, if you think I've I've blocked you hastily or in error on social media, email me spanners at mistapex.net and, uh, and 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 I'll, I'll unblock you and and we'll have a, a new a new beginning and a new relationship on social media but honestly uh, so much of my interaction on on twitter in particular has been so positive so thank you please also get in touch dm matt as well matt loves uh, speaking to people over twitter and you if you do feedback at mistapex.net that goes through to me and matt as well jono I, I uh, no, I feel uh, this is out of place. This is out of place, but I, ha- I have to say it because you moved on from the Bernardo topic. But as much as we credit him from for the demise of Ferrari, yeah, like if he is if he leaves the team in the next twenty four hours, we have to credit him for them winning a championship in the next like few days. But I just had to say that because that's so important to say that if he does leave, we have to credit him if Ferrari open up our next Miss Apex podcast <laughs> preview. Ferrari are the best team. We have to give him credit. Okay, good. Oh, anyway. no, no, I like it. I like it when we finish one topic and then stop the next one to go. But that's one of my favorite things, Sorry, Jono. <laughs> I had to say it. I had to say it. Spanner. We couldn't leave that without saying that. Follow Jono and his backwards baseball cap. Don't. I'm not even going to bother trying to do his Twitter handle. Just click the link in the show notes below, and that's where you'll find the links to all our stuff. I did notice a, a wild Christian Pedersen on, on Twitter there as a at Crady. I, I, Crady. It's, I think, it, but actually, uh, we, Damn, I can't trust anyone like on Twitter anymore. It's spelled just like it sounds. And you can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't because the da- Danish, the, the, you've got vowels that are smushed together. Some of their letters yes. are seven vowels smushed we together. We have three letters you don't have. It's yeah. an A, U, O. Yeah. Those letters are in the Danish vocabulary, and that's just how it is. It's and the, we have to it really them. is the language of romance. I just want yeah. to tell our listeners not to panic. We are calling a doctor for Christian after he said those things. <laughs> but go and click the show notes below. And also there you'll find all of Matt's social media. Follow him on Facebook and Twitter at MattPT55 on Twitter. The, the the podcast is at MissedApexF1. And I am on there as well as at SpannersReady. Or you can be my friend on Facebook, Richard Ready. And if you'd like to support us and be a patron, then uh, go to patreon.com forward slash MissedApex. I feel like this has been a lovely chat and it was so nice to speak to some of our, our listeners. And I'm hoping during the off season, we'll have lots of opportunities to have open forums and have you guys come on and, and yell at us and uh, start a debate. And Never be uh, afraid to to disagree with us and, and challenge what we say. That is what we try to do to each other as well. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mr. Apex Podcast. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.